So in Acts 8.26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Cadence, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stand near it. And then Philip ran. He ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And the eunuch was reading the passage of scripture out of Isaiah 53. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humility, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is this prophet speaking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. Now here's some observations. Number one, in, um, verse, in, in verse 26 it says that the Lord spoke to Philip or directed Philip through angels. Well, uh, I want you to know today in this place, if you've been born again and you, and you belong to the Lord, that angels are still instructing you and angels are still protecting you in your life because we live in a spiritual kingdom, although our feet are on this natural earth. In, in Hebrews 1.14, it says, are not, uh, not angels, all ministering spirits sent to minister to those who have inherited salvation. Who has inherited salvation? Those of us who have repented and believed in Jesus Christ. And then it says in Hebrews 13 too, Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by doing so, some people have entertained angels unaware. Second observation is that the spirit of the Lord told Philip, Go to the chariot in verse 29. Now today, the Bible tells us in John 16, 12 through 14, that he, the Holy Spirit, will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. And then in the first uh, book of Corinthians uh, chapter 2, that whole chapter is about the Holy Spirit revealing the very plan of salvation, the secret plan of salvation to us. If you sit in this place this morning and you're truly repentant and born again, if you didn't think of that yourself, the Holy Spirit brought conviction, the Holy Spirit brought understanding to who Jesus is, and you responded to that, and so you became a man or a woman of God. So the Holy Spirit, he, he will explain to us that the plan of salvation it says the deep things of God and then on in verse 16 of chapter 2 of first Corinthians it says and he will give us the mind of Christ and so I want you to know this morning that we as the children of God can have the very mind of Christ on all the issues we deal with in our life when I pray for my children I pray Holy Spirit 
Give my children the mind of Christ on these areas of their life. Give them wisdom. James chapter 1, Holy Spirit who lives within them. Give them the mind of Christ to make the choices they need to make. When I pray for Terrell and I in the morning, I pray, God, Holy Spirit, give us the mind of Christ and all of these things we need to know. We want your wisdom. We want your guidance. We, we want your truth. Holy Spirit, speak to us. And so if you're born again in this place, the Holy Spirit is active, hopefully, in your life. And he speaks to you the very deep things of God in the mind of Christ for you. And then in verse 30, it says that Philip ran in obedience. That's very important for us in our, in our context this morning. And then the fourth thing we realize is the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch, was a religious man. He wasn't a saved man. He wasn't a reconciled man. He was not a born-again man. How do we know that? Well, we know he was a religious man because he was sitting there, you know, re- reading the scripture, but he had no understanding of what he was reading. He had no relationship with Jesus. He was a religious man. Now, I want to say something to all of you this morning. It is very important for us to realize that you could be in church your whole life. You can do churchy things your whole life. You could be a religious person your whole life and never be born again. In the seventh chapter of Matthew, starting in verse 21, Jesus says, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, except for those who do the will of my Father. And people started to cry out, but Jesus, but Lord, haven't we prophesied in your name? Haven't we cast out demons in your name? Haven't we done miracles in your name, Jesus? And Jesus looked at these people and he said, depart from me because I've never known you. Religion religion cannot save you. Religion doesn't make Jesus happy. Matter of fact, if you read Matthew, the whole 23rd chapter of Matthew, you see that Jesus rebuked the religious leaders of the day. And in many parts of that scripture, Jesus said things like this. You, you have whitewashed, you look like whitewashed tombs on the outside, so elegant and beautiful. But on the inside, you're nothing but rotten bones, hypocrisy, and filled with evil. And, and then he said in another place, you give these people so many rules to follow more rules than you follow. And you make them twice the sons of hell than you are. And Jesus doesn't call us to religion. Jesus calls us to repent and to believe. I want, I want to just talk about that word belief for a moment. These are just our observations. We'll get into the body of our message in a moment. But the word belief, I want to contrast for you this morning, Greek belief with Hebrew belief. The Greeks believed that you knew something when you learned it intellectually and you could recite it. If you could speak of something, if you could explain something, the Greeks said, you knew that thing. They were very intelligent people. They were great philosophers. But the Hebrew belief, people knew that you believed something if you were Hebrew because you lived the very thing you said you believed. And so people would know what you believed by the way you lived your life. In John 3.16, that famous scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son 
So that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That word belief in that, in that scripture is the Hebrew word for belief. And what that word actually means is a belief, a belief that leads me to, to a deep conviction. To a deep conviction that motivates me to movement which brings me to repentance unto Jesus. Example, when I was younger, before I knew the Lord, you know, I, would, I was living a life in Vegas. I was a drug addict, a drinker, a womanizer, a liar, an arrogant punk. And then Jesus came to me in that time of my life. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit illuminated to me that the way I was living was absolutely wrong. The way I was living was opposed to, to the way God would have me live. And then the Holy Spirit revealed to me that Jesus was truly the Christ, the Son of God, the living God, the only true God, the forgiving God, the redeeming God, the saving God. And in that day that I got convicted, I repented because I believed. And so what repentance is, is I turned away from that life in Vegas and I turned and I submitted myself to the Lordship of Christ, all of myself to Christ. But repentance also involves a changing of the mind. I used to think that these things I did were okay. They were right. It was okay. But when Holy Spirit convicted me and and, and convinced me that Jesus was the Christ, I also had to turn to Christ, give him my life, but also change the way that I was thinking. I needed to renew my mind by the washing of the word of God. And in this place this morning... If you are acting out in a religious way, I pray the Holy Spirit this morning will convict you because he loves you and bring you to a place of repentance and belief. And so, if you, you, know, uh, if you do this, when you surrender your life to, to Christ, you know, that's when you become a born-again man, woman, reconciled person. You become a child of the living God. And that's what God wants. Jesus wants to live life with you and do relationship. And then the last observation is this, is that the Holy Spirit, you know, obviously through Philip and the scripture revealed Jesus as Messiah to this man. And we know that he repented because he got baptized. And when he left that place, he went away rejoicing because he was now a new man. He had a change of heart. Those are our observations. Why did that happen to that man, that eunuch? Listen carefully. This is the, 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 the foundation of our, of our stories this morning. That one act of obedience to one word spoken to you from God can change your life or somebody else's life forever. This eunuch was changed for all of eternity. In the moment of his salvation, he was translated out of the authority of the kingdom of darkness and he was brought into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of the Son of God. In one second of repentance and belief, his whole destiny and eternity was changed because one act of Philip's obedience to one word that spoke to him from God, his obedience was what led this man to an eternal change forever. Now, in a crowd of Christians this size, I have to believe that Jesus has been speaking to some of you about something very, very specific. Now, I don't know what that may be, but I wrote certain things down. Maybe the Lord is speaking to you about you really need to start the process of forgiveness for somebody. 
Maybe he's asking you to ask someone. You know that you know in your heart that the Spirit of God has asked you to ask somebody to forgive you. Maybe the Lord has been speaking to you about giving away a certain sum of money. That's always touchy. A certain sum of money. But you, you know it in your heart, but you, you, you just resist it. Repent of your pornographic addiction. Repent. Be honest. Get help. Jesus wants you to be free. He's a freer. He's not a binder. Religion binds. Jesus frees us. Maybe he's telling you, stop flirting with your coworker. Listen, people don't wake up in the morning and say, oh, today's a good day to commit adultery on my spouse. No, those things usually work out this way. I start with a little happy, kind, flirtatious remarks with my coworker, and I do that for a while because the intent of my heart is very different than I'm leading out to be, and eventually one day you find yourself naked in bed with someone who's not your spouse. Jesus may be speaking to some of you to stop flirting with your coworkers. Maybe he's saying to somebody in this place, get rid of that guy or girl. That's how we say it in New York. Maybe here we say, you should break up with that guy or girl. I, I don't know. But in New York, we would say, I would tell my kids, that guy's no good for you. Get rid of him. Maybe, maybe Jesus is speaking to you about that. And then finally, these are just some things I wrote down. Maybe Jesus is saying, you know, you, you really need to call that friend, write that letter, make that email, send that text. Tell them that I love them. Tell them that I care for them. Tell them the gospel of Christ. Listen, I don't know what it is for you that God is, is speaking, but I can imagine that many of you know that you know you've heard God, but yet you procrastinate your obedience in the Lord. You know it. I'm not talking about the times you got to pray, you got to figure it out. I'm talking about the times you know. It nags in your, in your soul. It comes up a lot. And for some reason, you say to the Lord, not now. now. I want you to understand something. From the time that you acknowledge that God has spoken to you, has spoken to you in an area of of your life. From the time he's spoken to you until the time that you obey the Lord, in that stretch of time, you are living in disobedience in that area of your life to the Lord. You are living in disobedience because slow obedience is absolute disobedience. Slow obedience is absolute disobedience. Now, Why don't we quickly obey God? Well, there's many reasons why we quickly don't obey God. But I would say for most of us, it's because we don't trust God in that area of our life. Example, Lord says, give that sum of money. You know he said give that money. But you you just don't do it. You can't do it. You won't do it. You know why? Because you don't trust God enough. That he says he can make all grace abound to you. And that he can give you all that you need. And that he can give you more than you need. So that you could be generous on every occasion. And that your giving would bring thanksgiving and praise unto God. You don't believe it. Because if you believed it, you write the check. And another place of scripture, the famous Malachi chapter 3. There's three types of giving there, by the way. There's your tithe, which belongs to the storehouse of God or the church. Then there's your offering, which belongs to the missionary. And then there's the gift that belongs to the people in need. The Bible says, if you have what your neighbor needs today, don't tell that neighbor to come back tomorrow, but give it to him. 
But you won't, you won't give the money because you don't believe the second part of that passage which says, and when you do this, that God is able to hold back the devourer for your sake. In other words, he will hold back the enemy from destroying the things of your life. The devourer. And then he says he will open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out blessings so great to you financially, you would not be able to contain it. Which means that when it comes in, it would have to flow out and I would give it away. You don't write the check because you don't believe and trust in the Lord. Now, how about this thing about getting rid of the boyfriend or girlfriend? Well, you won't do that. You know why? Because you don't trust God enough to believe that he will bring someone who's more suited for you. You do not believe God enough that if you break up with this bum or this bummess, whatever, (laughs) you don't believe that God is able to bring someone to you that's more suited for you, who will love you differently and more dearly, and who will love Jesus more and therefore would love you more. You don't believe it. How do I know that? Because you won't do it. That's how I know that. Because we don't trust God. To the extent that we trust someone, listen carefully. To the extent that we trust someone, excuse me, pardon me, to the extent that we know someone is to the extent that we trust someone. Say it again. To the extent that we know someone is to the extent that we will trust someone. That's true in marriage. It's true in friendship. It's true, it's true in work relationships. You see, so Jesus said that uh, if you love me, John 14, 15. If you love me, if you know me, if you love me, you will obey me. But you can't love him if you don't know him. And you can't know Jesus unless you spend time with Jesus. Listen, folks. You can't get up in the morning and read your little Bible app and then say, Lord, bless my day and bless my kids or whatever. Go to work Spend 15 hours away from Jesus, say goodnight to Jesus, and go to bed and think that you will ever grow up in your relationship to God. If I treated my relationship with my wife like that, hey, good morning, honey, how you doing? Make me breakfast. I'll see you later. God bless you. Come home, said goodnight to her and kissed her goodnight. I would have been divorced 25 years ago. I would have been divorced because I would not know her. She would not know me. And so what's important for us as Christian people, listen, there's no magic pill. And you'll hear this your whole Christian walk from the pulpit. You must carve time out of your life every day. You must carve time out of your life every day to read the scripture, meditate upon the scripture, and pray. And some of you look at me like, well, I don't have time. You're full of crap. And I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why. Because whatever is important to you, you will make time to do it. If it's important to go hunting, you're going to make time to do it. If it's important for you to go shopping, you're going to make time to do it. If you're a young person and you're in love with a guy or girl, you would walk over hot coals and glass and make time to do it. Why? Because you value that thing in your life. Therefore, if you value your relationship with Jesus, please don't tell the preacher that you have no time to do these types of things. I am so busy because you're full of garbage. If this is important to you, then you need to carve out time every day of your life and meditate and read and pray and build that relationship with Jesus. For the last 30 years, 
I'm going to brag on my wife. For the last 30 years, my wife has come into my bedroom every morning with a cup of coffee and a straw in it so I don't, you know, keep my teeth clean. Every, every morning for 30 years, well, I'm a public speaker. If I come up to you and I got all kinds of, you know, corrosion in my mouth, you're going to like, who's going to want to listen to me? I'm digressing. Okay. Back the, the fact is, every morning for 30 years, Terrell brings me coffee in bed, and before I, my foot touches the floor, I will read, and I will pray, and, and, and I will contemplate, and I will meditate. When I'm done with that, I'll get up and say, honey, let's get some coffee. We'll go in the car, and we'll drive and pray until we're done. And if there's anything, listen, I say that just to say that if there's been anything accomplished in our lives, through our lives, if the Lord has done anything with us, it all comes out of the, 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 the it all is born out of that relationship that we forged with Jesus Christ. You need to spend time with him. You need to l- learn to love him. Because if you love him, if you know him, you'll love him. And to love him is to obey him. Did you hear that? If you know him, you will love him. And if you love Jesus, you will obey him. There is no magic pill. It's going to cost you a spiritual discipline. So after today, don't tell anybody you don't have time to be with Jesus. Now, obedience to God is always right. But obedience to God is not always easy. Obedience to God is not always easy, but obedience to God always brings blessing. Say that again. Obedience to God is not always easy, but it's always right. And although obedience isn't always easy, obedience will always bring blessing to you or to someone else. I'll tell you a story. I'll tell you a lot of stories today. One of my daughters, uh, she had just gotten married. A few months into the marriage, she uh, calls me up. Now, first of all, I want you to understand, I have a very, very deep relationship with my kids. Even as married women, we're still going out for coffee. They're still texting me every day. I love them. You know, I text them. We have a very deep relationship. You know why? Because I spent time with them when they were growing up. Anyway, so now I get a phone call from my, my daughter, and she is married many months, and she's crying. And she's like, Daddy... We have no money for food. It's Monday. We don't have money for food until Friday. And I'm about to say this. I'm about to say, sweetheart, no problem. Come see me. When you come see me tomorrow at the worship center, I'll give you 50 bucks. And as I'm about to say that to my daughter, who giving her 50 bucks is not a problem. It's actually a pleasure. Before I could say that, the Holy Spirit convicts me and says, you're not going to give this kid a dime. Now, I can't tell you how difficult that was for me. So I said, to, I hesitated and I said, uh, honey, um, Jesus said, I, I cannot give you any money. And instead of arguing with me and being a brat, I could hear her whimpering and, 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 and crying. And I said, honey, you're part of a small group in your church, a small group. Tell your small group. Part of being in the small group is they, they'll help meet your needs. You know, pray, ask your father to meet your needs. Pray to God in heaven. When tomorrow morning, go to the town hall or whatever, the city center and, and apply for some assistance. Use that for a little while until you're on, the, on your feet and then get rid of it. But honey, daddy can't give you any money. Meanwhile, while I'm saying this, my heart is wrenched inside because I just want to give the kid 50 bucks, give her some food and have her stop crying. We hang up the phone. The next day I see my daughter at the ministry center. She walks in and she's, tears are running down her cheeks. I said, honey, I can't give you any money. 
You got to do the things I told you to do. Well, a day after that, her small group started to give some, some essentials to eat. She gets a check in the mail for $250 from a lady who's like her, who supports us, who's like her grandmother. And she gets on public assistance for a very short while until she's able to sustain herself. What happened in that moment of obedience? Because one act of obedience to one word of God can change your life or somebody's life forever. Do you know what the blessing in that was? Do you know, we know what happened? In that moment, my daughter realized that she had to transfer her trust in her earthly father for the things and the needs of her life. And she had to transfer that trust to her heavenly father because he showed himself very faithful to her. The same God who provides for daddy is the same God who's going to provide for her. And in that week, she got 250 bucks and other, other stuff from a small group and everything she needed. For me as a dad, you know what I learned? I learned that I can release my children to God and that he really will keep his word and he'll really take care of them just the way he took care of me. But it was one of the hardest things I ever had to do because um, obedience is always right. It's not always easy. And although it's not always easy, it always brings blessing. And one act of obedience... To one word of God can change your life or somebody's life forever out there by TV land. I remember being in, um, on 34th Street, New York City. 34th Street is in front of Madison Square Garden. There's literally tens of thousands of people passing us by. Every every language, every ethnic group, you know, different colors, whatever, just... Ten thousands of people just passing by. And we have this prayer station put out there to pray with people. And all of a sudden, uh, I see out of the corner of my eye this, this, this guy walking. And I feel this urge to say, repent! Now, I teach on evangelism. That's really not a great way to do evangelism. And then I realize that God has used asses in the Bible before. So maybe I'll just be an ass. And so... So the guy is walking and I'm like, hey, repent. Now, thousands of people, 900 people turn around, but I'm pointing at this guy. This guy comes marching up to me and I'm thinking, I'm about to get my kicked. I'm I'm about to get a beating. And this guy walks up to me and he starts to tell me that he was in Teen Challenge program for two years. He was clean and off his dope. And he had a job now in New York City. But because he was doing so well, he had left his relationship with Jesus go cold. And for the next 20 minutes, we begin to talk about Christ, and we begin to pray together, and after 20 minutes, he goes on. I can't tell you what happened to that guy after that, but I can tell you this, that in that day, God reached out to that man and said, repent and come back to me, because I love you. And he spoke to him through a short, hairy Italian pizza maker. Because one act of obedience to one word of God will change your life or somebody's life forever. Um, I, my, I have a friend, Stephen Baldwin. And uh, I met him in 2001. And he uh, does ministry with me. And uh, he, he's now a Christian, you know, Christian actor. He left mainline Hollywood, whatever. And so at the beginning of our relationship, I would pray for Stephen a lot. And one morning as I'm sitting there and I'm praying for Stephen, uh, I keep hearing, Daniel, Daniel, Daniel. And so I keep ignoring Daniel, Daniel. And I try to press in and pray for Stephen. And I get so overwhelmed with Daniel that I call Stephen up and I'm like, hey, Stephen, I'm trying to pray for you, but I keep hearing Daniel, Daniel, Daniel. I know you got a brother Alec and a brother Billy. Do you have a brother Daniel? Yeah, bro. Now, 
You know, he looks stupid, but he isn't. I'll just tell you that. And I said, well, listen, your, your, God is speaking to me about Daniel to pray for Daniel. You better call him up and find out what's going on in his life. And he calls up Daniel. He calls me back minutes later. and He says, wow, bro. Uh, you know, Daniel, uh, he's been going to Catholic church because he's addicted to over-counter medications and he just wants to get free. Uh, he's going to call you in 10 minutes. He calls me up and I get on the phone and I give him my whole testimony, told him things I'll never tell you. I just told him everything about my life. And after the phone call, he says, can you come to Arizona next month and stay with me and Stephen for a few days at this event? I really want to talk to you. Sure, I'll go. So I go and we, we talk about Jesus when they're not doing their thing. And we talk about Jesus and I share with him more of the scripture. And, you know, the last day when a thing is over, uh, Stephen had arranged for us to go to a church in Arizona and, and to meet this pastor. And uh, unbeknownst to, to us, he also tells the pastor, my brother Daniel's getting saved, so fill the baptismal. And so we don't know any of this, and we're taking the ride, and I'm three-hour ride from one place in Arizona to the next, and uh, Daniel repents. He gives his life to Christ in back of this car. And so when we get there, we get into the church, you know, uh, we get introduced to the pastor, and then um, Stephen looks at the pastor and says, uh, Daniel just got saved. And he looks at Daniel, and he says, Daniel, do you want to be baptized? And Daniel says, yes, I want to be baptized. Well, there's a problem. We don't have anything to change into. So, I don't want to give you a a picture in your mind too much, but we get as undressed as possible. We get in our BVDs. And then we get into the baptismal. (laughs) Very uncomfortable for me, by the way. We We get into the baptismal, and we baptize Daniel and pray for Daniel. And Daniel's life is changed forever. Why? Because Daniel, Daniel... Daniel, when you hear the promptings of God, folks, when God annoys you with a thought, you need to be quick to obey because that obedience can change your life or someone's life forever. Daniel, I just visited with him six weeks ago in L.A., and uh, he's now, he's bringing people into his home that are on drugs, and he's helping to rehabilitate them, and he brings them to rehabilitation centers and tells them about Jesus. Do you see the power in obedience? Do you see how lives are changed? Listen, it's not because I'm a, a minister that this happens. I'm just a regular guy who loves Jesus, and the Spirit of God is speaking to me, and I know he's speaking to you, and by the end of this day, I'm going to have you stand to your feet in commitment to obey the thing you know know that God is speaking to you about. Last story. We have this uh, pastor, um, Pastor Willie in, I got to go quick. Pastor Willie in um, the Yucatan Peninsula. He's our lead pastor. He couldn't get pregnant. Him and his wife couldn't get pregnant. They went to the doctors. They did everything the doctors said they should do. Couldn't get pregnant. Um, One day, Terrell and I feel prompted to say, hey, did you guys ever think about um, adopting a baby? And uh, as soon as we said that, they began to really just cry. And uh, we said, listen, we came into a small inheritance. Terrell's mama had passed away early. Um, Tell us what the process is of, of adoption in the Yucatan. They said, well, we find a lady who's pregnant who doesn't want the baby. And then we go with her to hospital when it's time for her to give birth. 24 hours later, we take the baby out of the hospital. We give the lady about $1,000, 800 to $1,000. We bring the baby to the courthouse and register her as our own or him as our own. And that's adoption in the Yucatan. So I'm thinking, this is great. We, we got 1000 extra bucks. My brother needs it. 
listen, when you guys are ready and find that kid, Terrell and I will, will, pay, the, will pay the adoption. Well, a year goes by, two years goes by, and I got to tell you that a small inheritance doesn't last long when you have four daughters. <laughs> so now one morning, it's January, about two years later, it's January, I'm sitting in bed, Terrell will confirm this is exactly what happened, I'm drinking my coffee, and uh, Terrell brings, I hear the phone ring, she brings the phone in, she says, Michael, it's Willie. Now the conversation usually goes like this, hey bro, how you doing, what's up, how you doing? I grabbed the phone to say, hey, Willie, what's up? I grabbed the phone and said, hey, bud. He says, you keep your promise? Well, let me tell you something. It was January, and I was sitting in bed contemplating. I only have $1,200 to my name. I'm thinking this. And I'm not a genius, but I know that $1,200 minus 1000 is 200 And I also know that in January, people are, you know, paying off their credit card bills for all the crap they bought for Christmas. So the the offerings that we get in January are very little. And all this is going through my mind in one second. And so Willie says this to me. And let me tell you something. The Bible says, be careful not to make a vow. Because when we make a vow, our words are spiritual. And they bind us to the thing that we promise. And if I would have said to Willie, listen, listen, Willie, the the inheritance is gone, I'm broke, I can't do it, it would have destroyed his his heart and his wife's heart. I had no choice but to say, absolutely, Willie, I'll give you a thousand bucks. He tells me what to do. I said, is there anything else? He says, yeah, I need another hundred dollars because I need to buy stuff for the baby when we take it out of the hospital. Eleven, twelve hundred minus eleven hundred is one hundred. I'm like, great, I'll send it right away. Well, in that week, I'm going quickly because of time, but in that week, uh, I go to, to lunch. A businessman from the church invites me out. We go have our lunch. We get that back to his office. He says, wait one second. He goes into the office. He comes out with this folded up piece of paper, which I know is a check. And uh, he gives me the Pentecostal handshake and puts the check in my hand. And, uh, you know, he's staying there saying goodbye. Now I'm driving away, hoping this guy just goes in his office because I want to see what he gave me. And I, as I'm driving away, I'm looking back. I'm looking in my rearview mirror, looking back. And the guy's like, and I'm like, love you, man. Go in your office. And uh, he finally leaves. And as soon as he leaves, I go, and it's $2,000, right? Wait, 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 wait. It gets better. Five days after that, I get a letter from my cousin Camille, who's, whose husband's a CEO of some company, and she says, we had a great year with stocks, and we prayed about who to give money to. Remember, prayed about who to give money to, and the Lord said, send you $1,600. So now, I have 1200 minus 11 is 1, plus 36, I got 3700 bucks. And Willie and Juanita have a baby. And so by keeping our vow and by being obedient to the Lord and what, the God, what God has said, they get their child. And I learned that God is able to abound to me all grace and give me everything I need so that I can be more than generous on every occasion and give, give my stuff away and my life away and my money away, which will bring praise and glory to God. Because one act of obedience to one word of God will change your life or somebody's life forever. Okay. Um, Let's see where we can go from here. I want to finish by 1030. Um, So how do you grow in obedience? You grow in obedience by practicing obedience. Does that make sense? You practice obedience. Will you always be right? Will you always hear God, you know, perfectly? No. But listen, if you don't practice hearing the voice of God, you will never grow up in your obedience to God. Does that make sense? You need to practice hearing God. When you believe it's God, in faith, step out, make the call, give the money, do whatever he's saying. 
If you believe it in your heart and it's faith. Listen, we live on this globe. We have the devil, the world. We have so many interferences in our brain. But when you have a pure heart to God and you're praying and you believe he's saying something, obey what he's saying. If you're wrong, so what? He doesn't penalize you. Matter of fact, he's very happy with you because you acted out in faith and obedience to him. Does that make sense? And so it doesn't upset him. It makes him very happy even when you're wrong. And if you practice obedience, you will learn how God specifically speaks to you. But if you keep ignoring the voice, if you keep procrastinating obedience, God cannot trust you with the next thing in your life. And you will never grow in your ability to obey God. Does that all make sense to you? Yes. Praise the Lord. I'll tell you a quick story. Terrell's mother was sick with cancer. She was dying. And uh, we had ministered to her, prayed for her for 14 years. She's like almost dead. And uh, I feel like, I'm praying, and I feel like the Lord says, call your mother-in-law up and, and tell her, you know, the, uh, the good news about, about my son Jesus. Tell her the gospel. So now I think, wow, I'm going to make the phone call and Gail's going to get saved. I make the phone call. Hey, Gail, it's Mike. Hi, Mike. What's up? Well, I was praying for you, and I felt the Lord wanted me just to share his love with you and the message of his salvation. And she says, uh-uh, you make me uncomfortable, and she hangs up. In that moment, I look at my wife, and I said, I'm sick of your mother. Let her go to hell. And so it wasn't my finest moment, but it really happened. And my wife, my wife looks at me, and she goes like this. She goes, Okay. And then in that very second, the Holy Spirit rebukes me and says, you shut your mouth. That's how he speaks to the Italian guy. You shut your mouth. You know, you keep praying for her. You keep loving her. I'm the God of salvation. You're not. But I blew it. I thought it was God. It wasn't. So what? And then one time I was at the gym and uh, uh, this, I was riding my exercise bike and there's this big dude, like a mountain of a man. I'd never seen him before. And all of a sudden as I'm riding my exercise bike, I hear the voice of the Lord say, get off your bike and go tell that guy to go to his mother's church on Sunday. And I'm like, uh-uh, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And, 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 and the voice persists and I'm like, not doing it i never seen that guy before, but I can tell you this. I saw that guy every, three times a week I went to the gym. Every time I went to the gym, I saw that man. Did I ever tell him to go to his mother's church? No. Why? I was afraid. I was filled with fear. Does that mean that that man, God won't reach that man? Of course not. I lose the blessing of obedience. Somebody else will raise up and go do that. God will forgive me because he's the God of infinite chances, but I lose the, the obedience. Lastly... If you obey the Lord, you could be used as an answer to somebody's prayers. I'm in Havana in year 2000. I'm there for 12 days. I don't speak any Spanish. I know pretty much three things. Donde está el baño, which is very important. Where's the bathroom? Como estas? Mucho gusto. How you doing? Good to meet you. That's it. So I'm in Cuba for 12 days. These guys, the other five pastors, they all speak Spanish. I don't speak Spanish. The last day we're in Havana, there's a big, big celebration at the university. And uh, kids are in the streets. They're dancing. They're drinking. And all of a sudden, one of the pastors says, hey, Michael, this guy speaks English. Well, I shot out of a cannon. Boom. I engage this kid. He's drinking beer in the street. He's with his friend. And I'm just preaching the gospel. Well, his friend says, this guy's full of stuff. Let's get out of here. But this kid, this kid, this, I don't want to go too far. This kid, this kid, he slatches onto me. He pours out his beer. He crushes his can. He throws it in the street. 
He prays with me to receive Jesus Christ in the middle of the street in a party at Havana. And this is what he says, and we'll close with a challenge. He says, I'm from the island of St. Thomas. My grandmother is a godly woman. My grandmother said when I came to Havana, I would meet a man that would change my life. He met Jesus. I was just a messenger. He met Christ who changed his life because one act of obedience to one word from, spoken to you from God will change your life or somebody's life forever. But I was used by God as an answer to grandma's prayers. Christian life's the most exciting life you'll ever live. If you don't have an exciting Christian life, it's because you're just living born religion. Here's my challenge to you this morning. Nick, please. Here's my challenge to you this morning. I gotta close. I talk to you all day. And then I'll never be able to invite it to the pulpit again. He's laughing, but he he knows I'm telling you the truth. Here's my challenge, and I mean this sincerely today. If you know that God has spoken to you something, I'm not talking about you're not sure. You know that God has spoken to you something, and you've been procrastinating in your obedience to God. Well, I'm going to challenge you to stand to your feet today as an act of commitment to do the thing that God has been asking you to do. You see, it's easy for me to leave you in your seat and say, well, just do business with God. I'm going to challenge you to be humble enough. If you know that God has been speaking to you and you have been procrastinating and it nags in your heart, then I want to give you opportunity to stand to your feet. And in that act of standing to your feet, what you're saying is, Lord, today is the day I'm going to obey you. When you leave this church today, you're going to make that phone call, write that letter, give that money, do whatever, break up with that guy or girl. No more procrastination, no more hesitation. But if you know that the Lord has been speaking to you and you haven't done it, stand to your feet right now. I want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Stand to your feet. Today is the day that your life changes, honestly. Today, all over the auditorium, today is the day that your life changes. If you will leave this place today, you're standing up as a, like in water baptism. We go, we, it's, it's, it's a, an action that we do. It's a proclamation of our body for an inward act of faith, right? We go under the waters of baptism and we say we have died with Christ. When we come up out of the waters of baptism, we say, now the life I live, I live for Jesus Christ. This is the same type of thing. You stand up today and you say, Lord, I stop procrastinating today. In this one thing, in this area of my life, today I will leave this place and I will do the very thing you've asked me to do. I promise you this, your act of obedience will bring blessing. Your act of obedience will be difficult. Your act of obedience will change your life or somebody's life forever. It's a fact. Let me pray for you. I'll turn it over to Pastor. Father, these men and women in groves have stood up in this place today. You know their heart. Of course you do. You're their savior, their God. You're their father, their friend. You know the thing that you've been speaking to them, oh God. And I pray in the name of Jesus, Father, fill them this morning with your Holy Spirit. God, Holy Spirit, give them the courage. Give them the strength. Give them the wisdom to do this very thing that they know that you want them to do. Father, when they leave this place, let their heart be filled with joy and excitement to go forth and to obey you, O God. And Father, I pray that's not only for today, but I pray that they would live a life of intimacy with you and obedience to you for the rest of their natural days. Father, in this day, I pray, strengthen them. Give them courage. Give them power. Give them wisdom in the name of Jesus. And for the days forward, continue to draw them into a secret place of intimacy with you, that they may hear your voice and obey you. Daddy, I pray for them. Hear their hearts. See their commitments. 
and give them the power to do it today in Jesus' name. Amen. I pray that today's word encouraged you. And thanks for joining us uh, on this uh, broadcast today. If we can help you in your walk with Christ in any way, feel free to contact us here at the Cross Loganville. Our email, info at thecrossloganville.org, or you can call us 770-554-3322. God bless you, and I pray that you have just an incredible day.